service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, one thing we've talked a lot about over the years is the Star Trek fighting that we occasionally are treated to on this and all the shows we review. That's right. Something that has evolved quite a bit, especially on the new shows, it seems like Star Trek fighting is much more Jason Bourne level right. fighting. But uh but I'm I'm old school. <laughs> and uh I really appreciate the dorky fighting that was established in the original series and continues in TNG and Deep Space Nine. Truly Bill Shatner was the Yen Wo Ping of <laughs> of his era. <laughs> but uh I I'm not really sure how this happened, but we got sent a book called Kirk Fu Manual, which is written by Dayton Ward and illustrated by Christian Cornea. You really uh you really gave that a tin man read right there. <laughs> you mean tin man? Tin man. Tin man. Kirk Fu Manual. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a this is literally a book that teaches you how to fight like Kirk, which I imagine if you like if you entered the octagon having built your fighting style based on this book, right. You would you would kick a ton of ass. Right. Before being murdered <laughs> in less than 30 seconds. Yeah. Ronda Rousey just literally breaks you in half over her knee. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I had been in touch with the publishers of this book. Oh, really? And they had been trying to send us <laughs> a copy for many months, and <laughs> and our changing P.O. box situation made it so that it was very difficult to get here. But I'm glad that it finally did. Oh, ooh, I gotta go check that P.O. box. I wonder if uh, I wonder if the post office still exists. Yeah, <laughs> dynamic situation as we record this. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, I, I thought it'd be kind of fun to go through some of these. The first move that the book teaches you is standard karate chop, which is not the Kirk chop. No? This is the single hand karate chop. You can't just start with the Kirk chop. You got to work your way up to that. You got to work your way up. Is this a book that's broken down into like process like that? So like you're going to you're going to work yourself up into the compound moves, but you need to start with just the single chops. Yeah, I think there's kind of there's it's sort of practice and theory mm -hmm. from what i can tell there's a a page that you know with several parag paragraphs of explanation of why why you might use a, a standard karate chop accompanied by uh an image of kirk uh giving a neck chop to a nazi which is a great way to start the book who is the author of this <laughs> Dayton Ward was the was the author. I got to say, I like uh, major props to Dayton Ward for dropping what looks like eight hundred words on a description of a karate chop. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next page is a kind of step by step of uh, you know raise raise your arm and then thrust it downward. I mean, that's whenever you fight Kirk hand to hand, that's always the danger. Like you know, the first shot is never going to land. You really want to be. The second attacker, if possible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Kirk Chop is actually the third move in the book, and it is referred to officially as the 
double clutch. Hmm. Or the finger breaker. Oh man, he's uh he's doing it to uh it looks like Khan Nunyan Singh is catching this in the face in the illustration. Wow. One thing I really like about these step-by-step illustrations is that Kirk is all uh, his uniform is always totally shredded by the end. Yeah. So uh you know, he's fighting but he's also finding a way to show a little little skin. He's got perma smirk. He's got <laughs> Kirk smirk going he big really time. Does. Oh man, we've got we got moves like headbutt. What's box lunch? Oh, I love box lunch. Tell me about box lunch, Adam. <laughs> box lunch. I'm handing uh, Adam the book. Box lunch uh, looks to be a move that I that I did to my brother when we were wrestling quite a bit. You just <laughs> grab both sides of a person's head and you squeeze. Yeah. Real tight. Wow. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's really like the story of Ricky move. Yeah. I think. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you, you hit or you squeeze hard enough, you're just going to explode that head. Yeah, pop it like a grape. This is the move that you do when you're bear-hugged by your assailant. So, in this example, we've got a, a, we've got a Gorns. Oh, yeah. This Gorns is, uh, has got Kirk... Oh, my God! Captain Kirk's a Gorn! Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> He's a Gorn! <laughs> Yeah, so once you're in the the bear hug, this is basically all you can do is do the box lunch. Yeah. And then you ask the Gorns once he gets back from school if he liked his lunch. Yeah. And should the Gorns say anything suspicious about what may or may not have been inside, you can tell <laughs> yeah. uh, whether they actually ate it or threw it in the garbage. You can tell that that Gorn traded his tuna sandwich for a ding-dong. It's important to remember that. While parts of your self-defense training won't be effective against every alien race, certain physiological elements tend to be universal. Hmm. Most living beings possess visual or auditory organs that are vulnerable to attack. Uh, This is the whole not every species keeps their genitals in the same place caveat. Right. So remember, adaptability, quick thinking, and improvisation are the key to survival. (laughs) You know how, like... If you go to a Star Trek convention, you can pay like 350 bucks to get your photo taken with Bill Shatner. Don't you think they could get like 25 people to pay a thousand bucks to take a 20 minute Kirk Fu seminar with Bill Shatner? All I want to do is is walk up to a staged photograph with Bill Shatner, slip him 50 bucks and ask for the box lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I slide him a 50, he slides me his room key. 50 bucks is basically is basically pocket change to Bill yeah. Shatner. Yeah. Yeah, you got to believe the box lunch is more expensive than that. Yeah. What this book looks like is a fun gift. And this is not like branded content or anything, but this looks like the sort of thing that you uh, give to a Star Trek fan. It's a, it's like got a ton of fun comic artwork in it. Yeah, I really looks, like the art style. It looks like a coffee table or back of a toilet book you know something you flip through yeah flying drop kick oh flying drop kirk it's not a kick it's a kirk (laughs) that's a lot of fun it's a kirk oh no no. (laughs) (laughs) wow your roderick is actually really good I've I've spent too much time with that guy. Starting a show. <laughs> well, Adam, speaking of combat, there is an abundance of it in today's episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Do you want to get into the episode? I can't wait. It's Deep Space Nine Season 6, Episode 6, Sacrifice of Angels. Do you 
realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. A show title that was misspelled on its screener discs. Ben, it was it was called Sacrifice of Angles. Really? Yeah. Is that true? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like maybe the first time we've gotten a mix of CG ships and miniatures in the same sequence, mm. as far as I can tell, because uh, we we open kind of showing the Federations and the Dominions facing off the the two huge fleets that we dun dun dunned the last episode with. And uh, I thought that the uh, that the Cardassian ships looked like they were maybe rendered. But then when you see like the Galaxy class ships and the Hood class ships on the Federation side, those are definitely model miniatures. I don't say this to correct because I feel like my role on the show is one of support mm. and uh, like lifting each other up. I think I'm the optimist of the show. I think everyone knows that. Uh, <laughs> it's all people can talk about. <laughs> But this is the first space battle on Star Trek that was specifically all CG. And the reason... Really? That The reason I'm not considering this a correction of you is that I think it's great that it was confused as model work and CG. I think that actually says that the CG is effective. Yeah. If it doesn't look as bad as CG often can in moments like these. I suppose it's an easier target to hit when you're finishing to standard definition. Yeah. But, that is a great call. But, I mean, we saw... I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's these sequences or sequences from elsewhere in the series that they showed in What We Left Behind mm-hmm. when they showed the space combat at 4K resolution yeah. from Deep Space Nine. But, um, I mean, that stuff looked great in What We Left Behind, but it looks great here. And uh, it, it looks... Uh, it fooled me. I'm an idiot. This is, I mean, for the lower threshold of quality, one must attempt to hit when you're when you're creating CG effects for standard definition. I think it's one of the moments in Star Trek where you're like, oh man, if only, yeah, if only you had these resed up. You get a little bit of this in that doc, yeah, as you were saying, but um, I it's think- uh, it's breathtaking as it is. I found. I have said this several times, and I will say it again. If CBS wants all access to really feel like a great value proposition, put HD or 4K Deep Space Nine on there. Yeah, that'd be big. That would be huge. Just spend the money. Just do it. We go inside one of the ships in this armada. It's the little D, and uh, people are scared. Naga's scared, especially. Yeah. But in times of great crisis... Ben, the people of Starfleet have scripture, and that scripture is the poetry of the 19th century. Into the mouth of hell, wrote the 600. Whatever it is you two are reciting, I wish you'd stop. God. Only that. <laughs> Only that can make them feel brave and strong. O'Brien and Basir are such dorks. The dorkiest. <laughs> they. What's crazy is no one is concerned about the weakest link on the bridge, which is Nog. Goodbye. And about making him feel better at all. We know he is the weakest link because even though he's a commissioned officer, Chief O'Brien is talking smack to him. Right. And nobody says anything. Yeah. 
This is a fun sequence because we see the Federation Armada and from the little D, Cisco is calling plays. And he's got this stuff down cold. Like, we're not looking at the view screen. He's just sort of like pointing finger guns at people yeah. and delegating tasks. And he knows where everyone is on the board. And when you cut to DS9 and see Ops and Ducat, like, they're around the pizza parlor arcade gamification of, yeah. of the scene. And yeah. they're, like, actually looking at ships and their movements here. They're doing that, like, World War II war room thing yeah. of taking a, a little pool cue and moving the ships around yeah. the, the map of the Atlantic. I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to be given this idea of different amounts of involvement in this plan by yeah. both Ducat and Cisco. And Cisco's just got it in his blood. I would love for there to have been a moment where Cisco is running the entire tactics of this of this battle from the bridge of the little D, and then just cut back to Starbase Three, blah blah blah, and show Admiral Ross like lighting a cigar or something. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing, Admiral Ross? Isn't this the most important thing that is happening under your command right now? Where are you? The sound of holodeck doors opens. He goes in to do his his weird private detective program. What's a computer-generated beauty like you doing in a gin joint like this? Admiral Bellbuckle doesn't need this shit. It's great. Promises have been made. Like here's the thing: when we cut to ops, we're seeing these fleet movements, and we've got maximum chill. Yeah. Because the minefield's coming down in eight hours. The minefield's coming down. They're going to have their reinforcements. They're going to have their Ketracel. Okay. That's all good to go. Yeah. And Ducat is brimming with confidence. He has built an impenetrable fortress for himself, and he's also brimming with the confidence of a guy that knows he's able to make his primary political uh, foe look dumb in front of their boss. Right. Because change leader is there and Ducat kind of puts Wei Yun on the spot and says, can you analyze the battle plan that the Federation is going to attempt here? I think that's, I think it's mean for a lot of reasons, but maybe primarily that he knows Wei Yun can't see the game board the way other people can. Yeah. His visual acuity is such that it's probably just all a blur. Yeah. That's a real punch down, Ducat. Yeah. Like the guy that has... Worse eyesight than you. Yeah. Getting the jokes. You do see it, don't you? Also, Wei Yun, some people are reluctant to like go to an optometrist, like do the hard work of taking care of their own health, maybe getting some glasses if they need them. Yeah. Like, don't stick to vanity. Get yeah. some glasses. I could never hope to match your elegance. And like, they don't have to be that Coke bodily these days. Like, they have these high index materials that form and function yeah it's a little bit more expensive you know why Wei Yun's not getting glasses Ben he's got no ears to put the uh oh, the shit. arms on right he what we what he would need is uh, Morpheus glasses yeah that, that, yeah, that clip cl- to his nose <laughs> nose clippy ones yeah I wonder if he could make a contact lens work on top of his existing contact lens <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah, that would be fun. There was a coworker of mine who, out of nowhere, started wearing the the stylish contact lenses that are like not animal eyes, but animal eyes are a version of these contact les- lenses that you can get. Yeah. And her choice was like super crazy blue, <laughs> like the craziest blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's crazy, like with no announcement or social preparation, like you just show up to a workplace that way. Yeah. 
I mean, it's less intense than changing your hair color really radically, I think. But I feel like it's like more insidious because you like might not notice it if you're like not looking the person in the face, which I probably wouldn't be the first several times I had the interaction. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to look at a person's hair, but you sort of have to look them in the eyes. Mm, I would disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So... Damar has a proposition here. You know, in light of these events, yeah. it may be good to propose, it may be good to institute uh, some greater security. Yeah. Uh, well, namely. Damar is a brilliant investigator and has indent- identified the entire resistance club. Yeah. The entire resistance club that is still, despite the fact that one of their members has been arrested, meeting in the open. Yeah. And, and discussing their plots in Quark's bar. Kira Quark and for some reason Jake are at the bar and they're doing that thing where uh, where Quark is standing nearby looking like he's taking their order, but he's not. Acting is what Quark <laughs> is doing. Yeah. The table that they're gathering around is also a changeling that looks like it's a table, yeah. but it's not. Yeah. Acting. <laughs> they realize that they're kind of getting down to the wire here on the keeping the butthole plugged up issue and they're thinking maybe maybe the thing they need to do is bomb the central computer core so that uh, so that the station won't be able to finish the job they're kind of coming up with the outlines of this plan when Damar comes in afternoon everybody Damar! with a bunch of gendarme and mm-hmm. arrest the whole lot of them yeah more canard for him yeah it leaves quark behind as the last Resistor. Yeah. Damar, who has identified everyone in the resistance club, fails to realize that the brother of the guy he already has in custody might have something to do with it. I like Damar, and you're uh, you're really making him look bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that this was a strange oversight. I mean, yeah. I like that Quark gets stuck doing this, and I like that Quark established that he didn't love the idea of it going in. Like, he's a selfish man, and... I really like that that his actions aren't self motivated. That he's forced into this at all times. He's he's forced into it, and but it's like we see tons of examples of this right now, where like people that are normally super selfish are like, uh, like can we maybe get like a universal basic income for three months? And, right. and you're like, like where did that come from, Mitt Romney? <laughs> <laughs> the battle rages on. And what's happening here is Cisco's plan has been about targeting the Cardassian ships only yeah. because he knows the Jem'Hadar ships are going to stand firm and resist all of their impulses to break the chain. Yeah, the Cardassians are much easier to harass and get a rise out of. So if, if they can get them to break ranks, there might be a hole that they can punch through. And um, I thought that this was like pretty well described in the dialogue, but... The actual ship-to-ship combat moments didn't illustrate it that well to me. It's it's. The I problem, wonder like, if you had sixteen by nine aspect ratio, if it would be more apparent. Yeah, maybe. I think probably also the problem is that the terms of this are so based on like armies on a field, mm-hmm. and it definitely feels like they're like bringing up the archers and like sending the the light horse to try mm-hmm. and do a flanking maneuver on on the left. The, the hood is most definitely the light horse. Right. <laughs> but like this is a three-dimensional space battle, so like what they did with the visuals 
didn't always line up with what they were describing. It felt more like fighter jets than yeah than ground forces, and I think that's a a good instinct to have when when portraying a space battle. Yeah. The galaxy classes uh, getting into the fight was big fun. I loved that uh, that shot of the of the two galaxy classes doing like a strafing maneuver on a bunch of galore yeah. class destroyers. Yeah. Meanwhile, like the arboretum is like all of the plants are falling <laughs> over. The uh, <laughs> the cetacean tanks are are bursting, and and dolphins are yeah. are are choking. Every ship's counselor is like, please, captain. <laughs> For the last time, can we separate the saucer and use the battle bridge and the star drive to do this to do this work? <laughs> what we should have is a cut to and from the armada and then like 16 saucer sections just left behind. Yeah. Waiting. Just hovering. Yeah. With like one defiant class ship guarding them. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. That would be awesome. You know what? The hood stays behind to guard the saucer. You know that's what <laughs> yeah, would happen, right? Yeah, that's what right? the hood would do. Yeah. Me, I just haul my butt back and forth between star bases. He's like, the cetaceans can hang with us. <laughs> <laughs> back on DS9, Dukat is pre-celebrating because he understands what Cisco is trying to do. This isn't yeah. a big secret. Like a chess master, he's seen all the moves several steps ahead. and It's Dukat that is planning on breaking the chain and allowing many of the ships through in order to close the door behind them yeah. and smash the armada that way. It's a trap! It is also an opportunity. We may not get another one. He's uh, trying to toast their inevitable victory with Wayun, who declines to drink on the job. And also kind of declines to engage with Ducat's gloating. Uh, you know, he's less Wayun, more wet blanket. <laughs> uh, he's described as anhedonic in this scene, and I've never been more seen by by an episode of Star Trek than I was right here. I was like, is that me? Is that what I am? Yeah. Could be. Yeah. No, you like to have a good time. Yeah. I've seen you have a good time. Yeah. But I am very not into having a good time until it's time to have a good time. Yeah. I do not celebrate the thing until it's done. Yeah. It's interesting how throughout this episode and really starting here, Wayun is instrumental in the entire thing. Yeah. You could argue that he's really the boss of it, even, accepting change leader. And yet the way he acts is so detached at all times right. that you never feel as though the shit is going to hit him or the wind is going to hit him or anything. Right. Uh, and I think just as a storyteller, what you're doing is you're removing the stakes from one of your main characters in an interesting way, right? You're placing them directly onto Dukat. Right. And, I mean, because Change Leader is like, another character like this. Like, she doesn't care yeah. about this ultimately. And when you're creating a conflict where many of your primary combatants don't care yeah what an interesting challenge you've created in telling a story right but it, it sort of makes it seem like if you are a changeling or are very close to them as avorta would be it's actually a an element of safety for you in the story in, yeah in this universe right this is also just like really long scene like it's a kind of an exegesis of like the different philosophies of the Vorta versus the Cardassians, like talking about like what victory means. Yeah. 
Wayun is like, hey, I think actually, uh, contrary to what everybody was talking about in the last episode, Earth might be the key to the Alpha Quadrant. Maybe we should just go kill everyone there. If there's going to be an organized resistance against us, its birthplace will be there. Ducat hates this idea because to him, the way you know you've won is when everybody's like, yeah, we should we should never have disagreed with you in the first place. You were right. Ducat's a real Admiral Cartwright about this. Yeah. And Wayun is not. Wayun, Wayun is, is kill them all yeah. and sort the bodies. Right. It's funny how- Wayun is more like Napoleon, I guess. Is that yeah. who said that? Yeah. Or Metallica. Oh, yeah. It's a real Cartwright-Metallica dialectic. Right. <laughs> Wayun's so interesting at the end of this scene because he's because he's truly curious and like I think he's just bemused. He's truly curious and bemused by Ducat. Yeah. Like he's not gonna take Ducat's example as inspiration in any way. Yeah. I mean it's it's yeah, like he's like Ducat is sitting there like complaining that there aren't any statues of him on Bajor. Yeah. And Wayun sees Ducat for the bozo that he is, but also is just content to kind of enjoy watching him yeah. bozo around. And he's not going to be like, well, Ducat, that's not actually realistic. Like that's like nobody will ever erect a statue of you on Bajor. There's there's a weird like Peter Venkman quality about Wayun. Generally, you don't see that kind of behavior in a major appliance. And like he's observing something ridiculous and it's not hitting him negatively. He's just Proceeding from the premise that it's okay to be curious about everyone. Yeah. Everyone is strange. Everyone is a real weirdo. Huh, that's your thing, <laughs> is sort of the vibe. He's spankmaning. Yeah. To be quite honest about it, that is an appeal. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my dead state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Odo is feeling left out of this conflict, and Change Leader is continuing to pull all of his strings yeah. about none of this mattering. Speaking of things not mattering to characters on this show. Yeah. I really liked this because it's a it's a cut from Cisco's office to Odo's quarters. And I happened to watch this episode with headphones on, and I noticed that the hum of the station changes noticeably between those two places. Hmm. History will prove me right. I have news, Odo. Which I really liked, the idea that, like, depending on where you are, the acoustics of, like, the machinery of the station would hit you a little bit differently. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Odo is definitely starting to waver on his commitment to being a kinky link daddy with her. And she's telling him, like, oh, yeah, like, we've arrested Major Kira. We'll be executing her shortly. Uh, this is all going great. Like, you should, uh, you should be... Totally team team shapeshifter right now. Yeah. And this kind of snaps him out of it, I would say. It sure does. I mean, it's it's the Rubicon for him mentally. Should Kira be taken off the board, I think Change Leader knows that Odo will be hers forever. Right. But you can't just delete an ex's number <laughs> off of a person's phone and expect that to, yeah. to end the thing. I think that Change Leader made a bad calculation here. Like, if she just had Kira killed, she could have kept Odo preoccupied for long enough to do that. And then and then they could have, you know, she like the forgiveness, I think, would have been a lot easier than the permission. 
I think that's the test though, right? I think I think Change Leader knows what she's doing and she knew that that would be the point that Odo couldn't go behind. Like, I mean, you only want Odo to join your Great Link if he wants to of his own volition. Like yeah. you can't, you he can't- He can really stink up the Great Link if he's there unwillingly. Right, right. And that's the whole point. And this is the main way to realize whether or not he's in it for the cause. Yeah, you don't want a stinky Great Link. No, you want to smell that Link. <laughs> But it gets Odo off of Limbo, and I think that's what makes this scene crucial, right? Yeah. He, and Odo he, was a great Link enthusiast, and now he's more of a dabbler. Yeah, yeah. The ramifications of getting off of it are also not explored in this scene. It's just you see that that he realizes that he's been a bit of an idiot for a little while. Right. So we cut back to the great big space battle and you know this is a, a federation fleet that is greatly outmatched by the cardassians and ticks that they're fighting and the battle has uh, really started to turn against them in a bad way when uh, it started to go all hansen <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a real wolf 3592 the secret <laughs> of the ooze type situation <laughs> Going on, and uh, this is when Gandalf like the Klingons show up. Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. They provide the cover, like like the scene is, is they're breaking through the blockade. Yeah, and it, and it's that moment where the little D is like, "All right, you guys, we're ready to go." And then mm-hmm. they look behind them, and no one's there. No one made it with them. Yeah, I w- like another scene where I wish that there had been a cutaway to just a bridge full of Klingons like rubbing their nipples as they get blown out of the sky by ticks. Like, oh, <laughs> yes, for death and glory. I couldn't believe that they were the only one to make it through. Yeah, a little bit silly. Super silly. It would have been better if they'd had like one or two ships get through that were like a little fucked up and they were like, well, maybe like turn around and harass the, you know, do a little rear action on those ticks. Young man, that appears to be a picture of your rear end. I feel like this show is usually very good at the whole asking you to suspend disbelief one time thing. Yeah. And this is an episode that asks you, I think, to do it three or four. Yeah. By the end of it. Yeah. And this is the moment where I think doubt creeped in for me. It's like, oh, okay, well, if it's just one, (laughs) what are they going to do against the station, which also has a bunch of ticks around it? It felt a lot like the we're taking a tick behind enemy lines episode. Or it's like, okay, you're kind of needlessly putting them alone. Like putting them alone in a way that doesn't feel right earned. More that it's cool than that it seems like a, a viable right. thing to happen. We cut directly to Ops and Ducat and Damar are considering what to do about this rogue little D heading their way. And Wayun's like, go ahead and destroy it. And Ducat is like, let him come here. It'll be more fun this way. Yeah. He chooses the fun route. The fun route uh, is different. I mean, he's he's a hedonist. He wants the fun route. Wayun wants is an anhedonic. He doesn't want the fun route. It's true. So uh, we cut to Zial walking around in the habitat ring. And she goes through a door and Quark grabs her and like puts his hand over her mouth. Don't scream. And then asks her whether she's got any cooking skills to speak of. Today we're going to 
to do souffles. I mean, I think you need to explain yourself before asking the question, right? Yeah. But this is a thing that comes back a little later. Quark gets the order wrong yeah, right. many times <laughs> on his demands. <laughs> it's what makes him a nightmare to work for, I bet. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he's putting a ticket in with the kitchen Ugh, at the bar. The worst. He's like, he, he's like maybe the worst expediter in the history of the restaurant industry. You're not supposed to put the parsley on the plate. Actually, that might be an Adam Ragusea thing, right? Oh, yeah. Put your parsley on your plate and not your steak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, also, if you're out there and you happen to be Adam Ragusea, uh, let us know if you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Haven't heard from the goose in a while. And we And we like him a whole lot. Yeah. If you're mad at us, let us know why. The next scene is in the security office. Lunch for Major Kira. And one of my favorite characters <laughs> in this episode, in this season, in DS9 appears. Major Kira has already been fed. This security guard is great. Yeah. And I think mostly because I can't figure out what he's doing with his voice. It feels like that scene in, you remember at the end of Pee-wee's Big Adventure when they're watching the, the movie version? Yeah. And Pee-wee's cameo has... They've, they've looped his audio. It sounds like he's looped. Yeah. I kind of thought it sounded like he was maybe doing a Damar. Yeah. I know you are. But what am I? But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. And I'm not sure why he says, Mr. Herman, paging <laughs> Mr. Herman. I love this guy. He's so weird, and that's why. Yeah. Like, outside of his voice, like... <laughs> like, the way he inspects the souffle by getting his face, like, two inches away from it yeah. is so insane. <laughs> yeah. He's the kind of stone that doesn't know how his body works. And so, like, when he gets up off of his desk, he, it's like he he's, like, trying to put his feet yeah. <laughs> down in the right order. <laughs> so much fun. So Quark is in there with one of those room service plates with the lid on it, and underneath is a souffle, and this guard needs to check it. Look at that souffle. Let's admire it for a while. And Make so, sure that there isn't a uh, force field file in the, in the souffle. What is he poking it with? He grabs something off of his desk. You know, stylus. And one way to check is to stick a big skewer in. Pen? Yeah. A conducting baton? <laughs> After we're going to go conduct the Jamhadar Symphony Orchestra. That much is unclear, but Zial reveals the sidearm that she's had on her the entire time. And that sidearm, Adam, is a hypo spray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, to the dome. <laughs> to, yeah. You don't want to get that right. You don't, you don't want to apply directly to the forehead. I love how sometimes a souffle is just a souffle. I think we should see if it's any good. There's no bomb in that souffle. That souffle was all misdirection. There was not a, a, a big file in the souffle to, to get out of jail with. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a rock hammer. That souffle was for a face. Yeah. <laughs> so Court gets a cake to the face gag on this guy and then murders to Jem'Hadar right. in the next scene. I think that it's uh, like Cork is a bad person, but he's not a cold-blooded person. Right. And I loved that about this scene. Like he comes in and announces himself to the Jem'Hadar rather than just shooting them in the back, like yeah. which would be the most expedient way to get rid of them. Yeah. Like he comes in hoping and praying that he's going to be able to do this without murdering anyone. But isn't that in keeping with everything about him this episode and for a while? Like, he's forced into this plan. Yeah. That he doesn't want to be a part of it. 
in and the scene plays out the very same way. Like he's forced to shoot them. He was never just going to enter the room and do it himself. I was trying to think if he's ever shot anyone before. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. I, you know he's got bodies. Yeah. Every bartender does. Yeah, right into uh, right into drunkshimoto at gmail dot com. I'm sure it's happened, but I I just couldn't. I couldn't put my finger on a time, but like the way he reacts once he's killed these two guys is definitely like, I can't believe I just yeah did a murder. Yeah. Like he needs to go sit down on the floor of a shower for a while. Like yeah. that's how he's feeling. Yeah. It. He's got to, he's got to talk to counselor Troy. Yeah. Really process what he's done. He needs to make his way out to the gathering of, of saucer sections. <laughs> Talk to one of the many ship's counselors you know yeah. who are stationed out there. <laughs> They're just idling. They're waiting. I mean, and, and it would be good cross-training for them because when the when the star drive sections get back, the ones that do. Could you plug any star drive section into any saucer section, you think? They've got to be cross-compatible. Oh, yeah. Nerd! Said the virgin for his entire life <laughs> that was, that's immediately the most nerdy thing i know i've ever said uh it's good that was very nerdy uh don't let john roderick know you ever said anything yeah. like that This episode is all about seeing a scene and then cutting to ops and things getting worse at ops, right? right yeah. But uh, even even now, uh, I don't think Ducat's confidence has broken. No. Like, he is brimming with it up until the end. He's been drinking on the job, though. That's true. Which you don't think of as being Ducat's vice, I yeah. guess. But but pride definitely is, and that's that's definitely what he's exhibiting here. Wayun's idea is great, I think, and practical. He's like, look, there's been a jailbreak. We're going to get Odo and change leader to Ops. Ops is the safest, is the safest place on the station. Yeah. And it is. Right. It's, it's sort of the, uh, it's the bunker. And, uh, and Odo's like, you know what? I'm going to... Yeah, you're I'm... right. Ops is really the Hitler's bunker of DS9. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Odo's like, you know what? I think I'm going to chill out around here. Maybe uh, link up with the Volksturm. <laughs> There's that look of understanding on Change Leader's face, uh, but I know that's just a projection because her face doesn't change expression ever. Yeah. But you you think she's understanding of what's happening here. By Odo choosing not to go to ops, I think she knows what she did with the whole Kira execution plan. Yeah. It's interesting that her not caring extends to this, right? Like even though leaving him behind is almost certainly going to cost her this strategic mm -hmm. holding of the station. She's always been 10 moves ahead anyway. Yeah. She doesn't put up much of a fight. But there is very much that, I thought we had plans, and then I don't <laughs> feel like it anymore kind of thing where you're like, oh, Ooh. this is going to this is gonna be a, a tough one to get over. Yeah. So we cut to Rom and Kira running and gunning down hallways and into cargo bays, fighting off Jem'Hadar. They've got some Jem'Hadar guns, so uh, so it's a, some pretty violent shit. And then mm -hmm. uh, they're like hunkered down behind some materials in 
in this cargo bay and Rom can hear that something in the acoustic nature of the of the fighting has changed and realizes that Bajoran rifles are being used. Do you hear that? And uh, when they poke their heads out, they see that a squad of Bajoran security people have somehow overpowered a squad of Jem'Hadar with Odo at their head. Maybe, I guess maybe the Jem'Hadar w- wouldn't shoot back at them because Odo was there. And if they hit Odo... That forgives this second suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Like, if that's your headcanon, I think it works. Yeah. But wow, could have used a cutback to, <laughs> so to, that it's to not explain, just headcanon. Yeah, why these, the most lethal soldiers in the galaxy, are getting overtaken by a bunch of guys in beige pajamas. Because an element of surprise is not going to be sufficient for the Bajorans to get the upper hand here strategically. Yeah. Even though that's what Odo says. Never underestimate the element of surprise. So Odo loads Kira and Rom into a Jeffrey's tube and then... You remember how to fire these, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) They're never going to see it coming. Yeah. Odo's commitment to not using a gun persists even in this moment. Yeah. So he he loads them into a Jeffrey's tube. He's going to go off and see if he can't make some false alarms around the stations to distract the Jem'Hadar. I love Kira's I don't forgive you face and attitude here. Yeah. Boy, do I know this face. <laughs> but the like, the like, we're putting on a brave face because we've got to hang out with friends. Yeah. Like, sort of vibe. Yeah. The, uh, we, we just arrived at the dinner party, but yeah. we fought in the car yep. the entire way. That's exactly what Kira's got. And you know, <laughs> Nana Visitor has that in her. Like, like I think she's drawing from yeah. a well of personal experience yeah. to make this happen. When we get in the car to go home, <laughs> we will continue this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and that even is the reaction that Odo has. It's like, oh, this might take some time. Yeah. In ops, we get to see what Ducat's rationale for having Cisco be allowed to make it back to the station was, which is that he wants to gloat. He wants Cisco to see yeah. the minefield get destroyed and the butthole gape open and dump zillions of ticks into the Alpha Quadrant. This is the Borg Queen plan. Watch your future's end. And unlike uh, the Borg Queen's plan, it actually works. Right. We actually see the station fire phasers on one of these mines, and it has a ripple effect. It takes the entire field out. Uh, We get Rom realizing he was like a millisecond too late down in the Jeffrey's tube. He's turned off the station's weapons. Right. But he did. Because that's what he had time for. That's what he had time for. But he should have just been doing that from the beginning. I love this moment because. It fucks with your your optimistic expectations for a Star Trek show. Yeah, like we're used to watching television and movies where it's down to the wire and the heroes snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. We clip the right wire with one second left. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and this is not like, this goes way past that. Even as the mines started going off, I was like, well, surely the mines are going to stop detonating halfway yeah, through. Yeah, they're going to be like, oh, we missed the self-replicating unit on one of them or something. I thought this was really well done. Yeah. And so the only Hail Mary Ben Sisko has left in his arsenal is to uh, go into the wormhole itself and face down the oncoming fleet of 2800 Jem'Hadar warships so we go in and I feel like we haven't seen the inside of the wormhole in a really long time yeah it felt that way for me too and also the profits I feel like we haven't spent any time with lately and uh, this is a bit of a profits ex machina this episode it is it's 
Also an instance of another Starfleet captain ordering his crew to do something that is unexplained. Yeah. Very specifically, he orders them into the wormhole without reason. Right. The crew responds and takes them in there. And then Cisco positions the ship ahead of the giant armada. And it just sort of becomes clear to the crew what's going to happen. They're going to make their last stand in the wormhole against hundreds of ships. Yeah. But Cisco never divulges that. And so by the time we're in the fantasy scene with the prophets, no exposition has happened. He right. just kind of appears there. Because, and what that does is it makes it seem as though it's plausibly been planned the entire time by Cisco, but maybe not. He you, definitely seems confused when he shows up in profit space. Why have you brought me here? He doesn't seem if like he Cisco's was expecting it. If Cisco's confused by being by talking to the prophets at that point, then Cisco is dumb. <laughs> and I know he's not. Yeah, yeah. I wish that we had a little bit more of the mechanics of this. Like if. I feel if like when a, you stop in the wormhole, you talk to the prophets. If you if you don't stop, you don't. Yeah. But if there had been times where he's like, oh, I need to talk to the prophets and they won't pick up the phone mm -hmm. or something like that. Believe it or not, I'm not home. <laughs> and this felt like a, thank goodness they, they answered this time. Are you there, prophets? It's me, the Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. So he, uh, yeah, he wakes up and uh, it's sort of the the seven prophets you meet when you die yeah. moment. It's very Mitch Albamy. He's kind of trying to talk to them about like intervening here. They Not don't... for a long time though. Like for almost half of this conversation, Cisco's like, fuck off and leave me alone. Yeah. Like, why are you, st you're holding me back from this thing I'm here to do. They keep saying he wants to end the game and yeah. he realizes that that means they've they understand that he is making a last stand. He expects to die in this moment. And he says, well, if you don't want me to die... Do something about those Dominion reinforcements. I think that they dropped some of the atemporality of the, of the prophets for this scene. Like, they definitely don't seem confused about, like, the end of his life being the end of a right. span of time. They don't seem to be confused about, like, right now would be a great time to kill all these Jem'Hadar. There's something a little dark about Cisco's proposition too in a I'm going to kill myself if I can't be with you kind of way. Wow. <laughs> right? Like like I'm going to die if you don't intervene. That's just what's going to happen here. And that is the kind of blackmail that felt a little bit unexpected yeah. from a character like like Cisco. But I think in the moment he's really reaching. He's not expecting to be here. Yeah. I guess. He's faced with the most powerful force in the quadrant. He has an opportunity to make an ask. Yeah. And he comes back from this profit experience not having any certainty about which way they're headed. You described it as deus ex machina, and I want to interrogate that a little bit more here because like, I am on the one hand in agreement with you, but on the other hand, does it qualify as deus ex machina if you've got it in your back pocket the whole time? Right. Forever. Like this is less incidental than that usually is. Right. And when yeah, it's yeah, incidental, yeah. it's super fucked and bad. But this is like the prophets have been on, on Ben Sisko's gun holster for seasons and seasons, and now he's willing to to draw it. Yeah, I guess we've just never seen them actually, like, do anything. And that's that's sort of the point of the scene. You want to be gods? Then be gods! 
I need a miracle. It's not clear to me that the wormhole aliens do want to be gods. Right. But... Yeah, it was fun hearing Cisco explain them to them. Yeah. Yeah. They also, you started a whole religion on Bajor, and I expected for a moment one of the prophets to be like, no, we didn't. Yeah, what's a religion? <laughs> yeah. What's a pach? Yeah. Like, they, they start to kind of use some of the terminology that we've heard Bajorans use. Right. Which I think is a shift. Yeah. So. Yeah, it feels that way. Anyways, he comes back from this experience, and uh, the ships are still bearing down on them. He's getting his crew ready to fire when the ships just sort of fade out of existence. And I love that Chief O'Brien's like, fuck, they've cloaked! Fuckers, come on! It's kind of in keeping with the religious theme of that moment with the prophets. Like, I kind of got rapture vibes from this. Where did they go? Yeah, it's just... It's what just happened? Sh- shoes left over. What is the what is the bumper sticker in case of rapture this car will be unoccupied? <laughs> like the wormhole is now unoccupied. Yeah. The moment that they come back out of the wormhole and we cut the ops and uh, Ducat's like, "Oh boy, here the, here yeah. comes the defiant with a zillion ticks behind it. This is going to be fun." And then it doesn't happen. It's great. It's uh, it's so rare to see Ducat totally disgraced. Yeah. He's like, he's there to be a menace most of the time and to see him like on his knees in utter despair is kind of cathartic, you know? They do it with his hair the way they did it with Odo a couple of seasons ago, the broken samurai with yeah. the... With the, with the hair undone, like he starts to lose lose the page boy a little bit. Yeah. As he becomes more unhinged. He's got data with a briefcase full of plutonium hair. It's a great payoff to the earlier scene of like, Ducat fires the bullet that destroys the minefield. He thinks his gun is still working. Yeah. And when he goes to use it again on the little D, it doesn't. It's a perfectly crafted surprise for him. <laughs> there is no reason he should think that there's any problem here. Yeah, it's great. More, more, more. sweet, more, more, more. You hear, buddy? More. Stop. Hammer time. This is the moment where Wei Yun sees the writing on the wall and he says like, uh, why don't we uh, start heading to the escape ticks and Ducat immediately thinks to Zial and wants to go find her personally. Damar is at pains to prevent him from doing this, but... The theme to Spaceballs, the movie, starts playing as everyone goes <laughs> to the escape pod. <laughs> Watch out! <laughs> they try and set self-destruct, but it doesn't go, and they're like, fuck, even in the future nothing works. Ducat gets in and sits in an escape pod, but he sits on Morn's lap and tries to buckle his arms like, <laughs> like a seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> Let's just keep talking about our favorite part to Spaceballs. Yeah, I like that part about the, the cross-eyed gunner, yeah. for example. <laughs> oh, he's got to resolve things with Zial. And I love the handheld camera of uh, yeah. Ducat when he's stumbling around on the promenade looking for her. Yeah. It just... Like the the shakiness of the camera work there, like really makes you feel how unhinged he is. Like how his entire conception of self has crumbled before him, and he's just like he's working on animal instinct now. It's great to see the composition of someone who is so clearly broken with a scene that is also broken. Yeah, like what's going on around him should be terrifying and bad, but. I think this is, I, this is 
Mark Alamo's finest moment on the show here because yeah. what he is doing is so much greater than what's happening behind him. Yeah. Like he captures the energy of the entire, of this vast room that he's in. Yeah. Like he's on the promenade and shit is going wild behind him. Yeah, but, there's not, but there's not like paper f- no. flying around. There's not looting. There's not Jordy is people not running rolling around with under their hair a, on fire. Under a slowly dropping blast door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you would think that like... But yeah, yeah, it's still Jem Hadar still walking around in yeah. formation and stuff. It is it is the unthinkable happening behind him, for sure. He catches up with Zial, and she's very happy to see him. Father! Oh, Zial. And it feels like a fantasy. Did it feel like... I thought for sure their meetup, it was so loving and beautiful in that moment that I thought for sure he had lost his mind to such a degree that she wasn't there, that she would just like disappear from him. Oh, like he disappear would wrap his him. arms around her and she would be insubstantial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um... But I think this is in keeping with your observation about how it was shot and cut. Yeah. The sequence is so dreamlike and crazy feeling that I couldn't I couldn't trust what I was seeing initially until I was made to. Yeah. Well and and it becomes clear by the end that his mind is really broken. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're kind of getting very much subjectively his experience in these moments, yeah. which which is why it would feel like that, right? Like it it feels like a dream because he's insane. Yeah. And uh, in this conversation, Dial reveals that uh, she baked the souffle. She was instrumental in causing his downfall here. And uh, that's all Damar, who happens to be there, needs to hear to fire a phaser set to hole punch Yeah, on Zial, taking a, like an apple-sized chunk out of her chest and... Uh, he leaves Ducat weeping over her. You know what? I, I mentioned this being Mark Alamo's finest hour, but like this is the moment. Yeah. His grief over her, his begging her not to leave him in death, I thought was beautifully done. I thought he performed this so amazingly. Yeah. I, I really, really felt something here in that moment. Yeah. And it feels like like you don't like Ducat and no. you don't, but you don't like to see this. Yeah. And- it feels like a crazy emotional swing when the next moment is Cisco and his team coming through the airlock to applause. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, wow. Like that applause was earned through a lot of pain and grief. You know, even if the pain and grief was inflicted on somebody that deserved it or whatever. Right. Like it, it's sad to see Zialgo and... It makes this moment feel a little bit more complicated. That celebratory mood is so interesting coming on the heels of the death of uh, not a minor character on this show. General Martok comes aboard the Sasan and says, Captain, excellent work. Now this station is half ours because we (laughs) helped you win it. Yeah, that should really be the conversation. (laughs) You know that's going to come up over over their barrel of blood wine. Totally. We get a moment with Garrick in the infirmary with Kira and Zial. Yeah. Pretty melancholy. I was very interested in like the stages of grief here and who is feeling it. Not that you want to rank who feels someone's death the most. Yeah. That's not what death is about. Everyone yeah. grieves in their own way. However, if you are creating characters here and writing a show... 
I was very surprised at how sidelined Kira's personal grief is at this exact moment. Yes. A person who maybe has the most complex feelings for Cardassians and for Zial personally. Yeah. Uh, Look at the way the scene is blocked. Like, she's in the background. This is Garrick's scene she's to feel. She's focus, yeah. It, uh, it, I mean, it makes it clear that she had that moment already? with ZL already, yeah. but it seems mental that they didn't include that scene in the episode. <laughs> Especially because Garrick has worked so hard to suppress any sort of affection for her at all times. Right, right. And even in this moment, like, this is the moment where it's okay for Garrick to let it all out. Right. This is this is the time for catharsis. He does not achieve that. Doesn't so even it. now he won't we don't, give it to us. We don't get that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of catharsis to be found in bits and pieces in mm -hmm. you know, in the scenes surrounding this, you know, Ben and Jake meeting back up, Quark with a couple of Davo girls on his arms. It's a little soon for things to get back to normal, right? Right. Uh, yeah, like, w we've got a hollow sweet date in one hour was maybe the biggest uh, suspension of dis disbelief moment in the whole episode. <laughs> uh, you want to know what the real version of this is? Everyone going back to their quarters and seeing them fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, do you think Gem had our trash hotel rooms? Absolutely. I guess you're probably worse off if a Cardassian had your room while you were gone. Yeah. Than a, than if a, because Gem Hadar are so like, I mean, talk about anhedonic. They don't even <laughs> shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, I got to believe. Do they sleep? I was just going to say, I don't think your bed needs to have its linens changed if a Gem Hadar has stayed there. I think the bed's gone unused. Yeah. But if you come home and find out that like Damar had your room yeah. and he was like taking hangover dumps every day. Brutal. Oof. You do not. I yeah. I'm I'm gonna sleep on the little D. I think. <laughs> that's the case. Yeah, Worf's the only one that's really uh, that's really going for a, an unbroken continuity. Right. He's actually getting an upgrade because he's coming off a bird of prey. Yeah, I mean, but that's one of the story beats here. the The wedding is on. Yeah. The wedding that everyone has been waiting for. <laughs> the button on the episode is Ducat in a cell, a broken man, and he gives. Cisco is baseball back. Yeah. As a as a symbolic giving back of the station to yeah. Cisco. And uh yeah, he's like talking to himself, talking to Zial. Yeah. Homie is messed up. Might want to bring Ducat over to that uh cluster of saucer sections. Yeah, he could he could really use some help from the various counselors that will be available to him i think they've got schedule availability over there yeah probably if you lose your star drive your schedule opens up in a big way yeah if you're counselor on yeah. a saucer section <laughs> not a lot of in grief star drive sections on their way back yeah they're you're just like, gone our star drive section got blown away but we got a, a star drive section from a different ship actually and so my schedule is back to totally full. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's so much harder to to rebuild a book of business after <laughs> an incident like this. Yeah. Yeah. Really terrible. You really want to do this here now? Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Do it. Did you like the episode, Adam? I found it a a really satisfying conclusion to this eight episode arc. I yeah. think. Um, and I think the reason for that is primarily due to the Dukat Zial story and how it ended. Yeah. I think absent that, it might have felt a little light and easy. Mm -hmm. 
Like there's a feeling you get when you see Armada versus Armada that, you know, like the stakes couldn't be higher. We've got all these ships and lives. Yeah. But it's interesting how like how difficult it is to feel that way without seeing a story of death told in a smaller way. Right. Yeah, of, we, of death and loss. Like we're not cutting around to these ships and seeing their interiors and girders falling on people. So it's hard to really feel It's too abstract. Yeah. And it's like it's wild, right? Cuz you like you keep hearing them say like, "Oh, like we've lost the yeah. the we've lost the Reliant 4." <laughs> yeah. I think they say that they lost the SeaTac at one point. Yeah. So yeah. they they were they they have enough ships that they're starting to name them after airports. Right. But like when they say that, that means like hundreds of people died, right? If they're naming ships after airports, it means they're also naming ships after presidents. Wow. Yeah. You hate to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I liked the episode as well. Um, I think it was a good arc, and uh, and you know, like one of these, we talk about like how this is kind of like one of the first shows in TV history to to try for things like this. Yeah. And I think you know, not having a roadmap, not having previous television to base an arc like this on, yeah, makes it all the more impressive that it hangs together as well as it does. I've gotten used to the hot tub water and I'm wondering if I'm going to want to get out like in the, in the episodes to come, right. you know, like, because this is such uncharted territory for this show and for episodic television in general. Yeah. I wonder what the bends are going to be like when yeah. we go back to, uh, Jake Sisko gets a girlfriend, <laughs> for example, like. Uh, really? Like, are we going to start telling stories like that again now? I know some of this show's best episodes are still to come. Like I know that reputationally, we're going to get right. some some really great work here. But yeah, uh, the stakes are going to feel different, and I wonder how that's going to feel as we're watching. I mean, we've got twenty episodes left in this in this season, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's this is a pretty wild way to to start a season off and then have twenty entire episodes to backfill with we're, we're really clinging to the drama of a of a wedding yeah you know <laughs> totally they better deliver with the wedding <laughs> conflicts guys <laughs> well uh, do you want to check our priority one message inbox and see what's in there we do that almost every episode we do priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Uh, well, no P1s this week because this episode was scheduled to be during the Max Fun Drive 2020. And because that's been rescheduled, uh, we don't have any P1s on the schedule. But the priority is to be safe out there and continue to comply with the social isolation whenever possible. Listen to the experts yeah. would be our advice. And uh, and we're thinking about all of you. I know that this is, you know, harder on some people than it is on others. And uh, if you're if you're really struggling right now, uh, we're thinking about you and hope you're going to get through this okay. So yeah, uh, that's our P1 message, I guess. That's a good P1 message. I'm going to need a hundred bucks from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, I, I think I have my wallet in the other room. Gotta get that, get that gold press back. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. 
Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I really loved the guard, but he's not the guard. I think the guard, to name him my Shimoda, would be 
too obvious. I gave it away early on. Uh-huh. So here's who Shimoda is going to be. The very first fighter to get shot and destroyed during this battle. Uh huh. Someone's got to be first. Yeah. And it sucks. I think <laughs> when you're first, like, like. Red Six is going in. Yeah. Like, and, and you're in with them. Like, we've mm-hmm. cut to the exterior. Like, we're in the dogfight. And as soon as I saw that guy picked off, I was like, oh. In battle scenes and movies, I always look for the first guy. Yeah. The first guy to die. Yeah, yeah. I always want to note that. Yeah. Like, like even if, it, if they're not center screen, like, that person deserves to be recognized. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm just going to say RSVP, that first fighter yeah i think their their sacrifice should be recognized on our show and i'm gonna do that with my shimoda nicely done my drunk shimoda is the resistance club mm-hmm. the idea that uh you one of your one of your cohort would be in jail on death row getting executed for the the terrorist plot that you guys helped put him into uh and then the next meeting is at a bar that anyone can walk into and you don't know that they're there until they're right behind you, like Damar, for example. I want to know for the purposes of our scorekeeping if we are giving one-fifth shares to all of the members of the Resistance Club or if the Resistance Club is one unit that gets the one Shimoda from you. I mean, I think it's up to Colin Dinsmore to kind of figure out how that gets distributed it's not our job to tell him how to do that yeah that's all right it's up to him all right up to the game of buttholes will of the prophets is how we will be watching and experiencing the next episode of our program ben yeah the uh what we're looking at here is a runabout that's on square 23 right ahead we have a banger a little bit beyond that is a the naked now episode which is the one the type of episode that we have to record live from the bathtub. <laughs> so, uh, wouldn't that be great to have to be in the same tub? <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. It's it's impossible. It's an impossibility. We would have to find a workaround. Yeah, you're required to learn as you play. Roll. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll this. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow, we have jumped over everything. You frequently roll sixes and I frequently roll ones. Yeah. Good job by you. We, we're on square 29 with a nice wide open expanse in front of us. So regular old episode next week of The Greatest Generation. And uh, oh, I should probably tell the people what that episode shall be. Gotta know that. Is it the wedding episode? You fucking know it is. God damn it. The episode is season six, episode seven. You are cordially invited. And uh, the description is this. Worf's plans for a traditional Klingon wedding are threatened when Martok's wife refuses to accept Dax into their family. Wow. (laughs) So uh, Martok's wife. Kind of excited to meet her. You you know she's a sturdy woman. Yeah. (laughs) You'd better know when you go to the grocery store for her whether you're getting 2% or full fat milk. <laughs> wow. You know what? Like I I had some reservations about about a post Dominion War life for the show, but uh looking forward to keeping a little light the yeah. next episode. That'll be fun. I don't think this is I, th- I think the Dominion War is still going to be a a factor. You think? You yeah. don't think it's over? No. Oh. 
No. All right. Because Change Leader's still over there in Cardassian space. Yeah. Still got a bunch of Gemma at R6. I don't know. We never saw her ship leave. Oh. How do we know? Maybe she just got flushed down a toilet. Yeah. She's, she's up in the pipes of Deep Space Nine. This is why we aren't in writer's rooms, Ben. <laughs> Our ideas are terrible. <laughs> well, one thing that's not terrible is the uh, ongoing and generous support of the Friends of DeSoto. We know that uh, this is an especially hard time uh, for a lot of people right now. and uh, We are not, we're typically reluctant to date the episodes, but we're recording this on Monday, March 16th. Yeah. Uh, should anything we've said up until now uh, feel wildly out of proportion with what may be happening in the future? Yeah. Uh, a, a pre-apology, post-apology. I'm not apologizing. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we're doing the best we can. Doing the best we can. We hope that this is uh, something that is a comfort in a, a very scary time. So, That's a great point. Um, so, it's yeah. a comfort to me in this scary time. Yeah. It, it absolutely is. So thank you for uh, continuing to listen. And uh, if, if it is still within your means, continuing to support. Uh, and uh, we should also thank uh, our uh, buddy Adam Ragusia for all the original theme music on the, on the show. Uh, he has a great cooking uh, YouTube channel that uh, you should definitely check out. Of course, Dark Materia made the original theme music for The Greatest Generation, the card song, and was kind enough to let us use it back when we first got into this crazy game that is podcasting. I mean, the only way to win this game is not to play. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got to thank Bill Tilly, who makes uh, original comedy trading cards out of every episode of the show. Stay safe, Bill Tilly. Yeah, he's on uh, Twitter at at BillTilly1973 and he uses the hashtag GreatestGen to post those cards. They're always really fun to look at after every episode. Big, big love to all of our friends at DeSoto out there. Yeah, sending you uh, the most love and um, I guess by the time this comes out, we'll be sort of into week two of a lot of people being on varying degrees of lockdown at least in the united states yeah and i think our plan is to try and uh do some i don't know do some like live streaming or something to, just to like be out out there online uh having fun be out with there you guys. in these virtual streets yeah out there in these virtual streets uh <laughs> you know just doing some fun stuff so that uh you know people that have uh, a, a tougher time being home alone you know have some stuff to engage with so keep your eyes on our social medias for that because uh, we'll be we'll be trying to do some stuff so uh, i'm at benjamin ahr on twitter and adam is at cut for time i know that the facebook groups a lot of the uh, greatest gen facebook groups are planning a lot of fun stuff right now so if you're a facebook user uh definitely go check out the greatest gen group on facebook there are all kinds of activities and kind of virtual hangouts being being planned over there yeah i think the point is um you know physical isolation doesn't mean being alone yeah and and it certainly doesn't have to be that way so uh i think there are a number of areas and avenues you can take as a friend of DeSoto to uh to be part of this greater community and I think uh, there are a lot of welcoming people yeah. out there ready for you that want to have fun with you and uh, and help you through this so right. be safe out there uh, make sure you're taking walks you know going going to the park and walking around and uh, breathing some fresh air is is recommended you know it's not just you know close the door and lock it behind you 
uh, unless you're unless you're over 65 or uh, like very immunocompromised. Like part of uh, part of what's going to get us through this is just um, good self care. So uh, love to all of you. Part of what's going to get you through this is taking medical advice from me and Ben. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's getting some pretty cold feet. Mm -mm. Just glad we're not going to be doing it in a tub. (laughs) Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.